The Justin Robert Young program brought to you as always by everybody who supports us at payjurydaily.com. Hello and welcome everybody to the Justin Robert Young Podcast. My name indeed is Justin Robert Young, joining you yet again. Marvel Week rolls on. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about Marvel. We already talked about uh, uh, how I got into Marvel Comics uh, uh, in my local library. The library of Hollywood Hills Elementary, where a nerd was born. Yesterday we talked about my love for comic cards. By the way, go check out my Instagram. You think I'm lying? You think I'm fibbing? You think I'm telling tales about being a comic book card collecting? N-E-R-D. Think I'm lying on my trapper keepers? Head on over to my Instagram right now because my mom went digging into the closet unprovoked. She's listening to the show now, I guess. She, uh, she went into her closet and found at least one of my old binders. It is a vintage Ultimate Warrior binder packed to the gills with comic cards. Um, Mama Dukes brought the receipts. Go check them out at my Instagram, Instagram.com slash Justin R. Young. But today we are talking about the next step in the evolution of my love for the Marvel Universe. And that is cartoons. If we're going to talk about Marvel cartoons, well, there's really only one place that we start and end. X-Men The Animated Series ran from 1992 to 1997 based upon the X-Men characters from the comic book series made by Marvel Comics. It ran for 76 episodes in total, focusing on the characters Cyclops, Wolverine, Jean Grey, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, and Beast. Oh, and Storm. Of course, Storm. I have to say, in in doing a little bit of research for this episode, I really can't highlight enough how influential X-Men the Animated Series was. It's so influential that some of the storylines that they took and made into more digestible visual feasts, like Days of Future Past, Age of Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, not only have we seen done in multiple X-Men movies, we saw ripped off to great acclaim 
in other shows like Heroes. This was supposed to be a kid show, right? This is uh, in in the mold of uh, uh, G.I. Joe or something. I assume if you were an older uh, person and you weren't in the wheelhouse of this like 90s cartoon renaissance that happened. And I would lump Batman the Animated Series in here too where there were just kind of a little bit more, there's more freedom. There were a few more chances taken. And where Batman the Animated Series really leaned into, hey, not everything has to be karate chops and lasers and backflips. We can tell a slower, more cerebral, more noir kind of detective story for the kids, and they're going to enjoy it. They're going to grow the patience for it. X-Men the Animated Series was all about the lore. It was all about who these characters were, how they connected to each other, and it did not shy away, even in the the intro, even in the the way that you come into every episode, the final climactic moment before you get the title card is Magneto and his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants on one side, the X-Men on the other side, and humanity running away in the center. The concept of civil rights, the concept of the other was very much on display. The characters that we first come into this universe with, not only in the animated series, but later on in the movies, which we're going to get to tomorrow, was Rogue. The per- the literal other, the person who cannot touch other people. And so she finds her home amongst these misfits that, of course, happen to you know, save the world here and again by way of cool gadgets because it is an after-school television show after all. But just think of it. Just think of it. Days of Future Past was ripped off for Heroes. The coolest moment in Heroes, a primetime series that captured the nation's attention, ripped off two iconic comic book storylines like wholesale out and out ripped them off days of future past an x-men storyline that had already been done in this animated series and then their fi- their finale basically turned into a watchman ripoff but x-men the animated series had the patience and the skill to tell stories that we are still telling in cinemas today we are going to get a dark phoenix movie Within months. Within months. And it'll be the second time we've done it. I cannot recommend this high enough. And, and, and trust me, I am not an animation guy. Like, I, I, I love the animation that I watched as a kid. I very much uh, enjoy great animation. But I am not a zealot. I am not somebody that's going to tell you that all the best stories that have ever been told are animated. But I find it very, very hard as I was looking back at some of the episodes that they did. And again, 76 episodes over five years. That's a that's a that's a run and a half. Considering how iconic some of those characters have continued to become, this was really the introduction that America and I guess the world had to the incarnations that I believe have lived on. And tomorrow we're going to get a little bit more into how 
these exact characters played the role in setting the table for why we are talking about Marvel all week. We delve deep into the renaissance of comic book movies, beginning, well, first with Blade. Got to give Blade all due props. Big shout out to Steven Dorff. But I don't think it's a coincidence that this cartoon in the mid-90s led with a lot of the same soft-pedaled civil rights themes that had made the X-Men comic special. And that the opening scene we get in Brian Singer's X-Men totally redefined what we have come to expect in a comic book movie. We talk about that, the birth of the MCU, and I give all of my hype that I have stored in my soul for Avengers Endgame tomorrow. But first... An archaeology story that we are taking from Gizmodo today. The headline written by George Dvorsky reads, Fossilized human poop shows ancient forager ate an entire rattlesnake, including the fang. We read now. A 1,500-year-old chunk of fossilized human poop found near a former rock shelter in Texas contains evidence that an ancient hunter-gatherer who consumed an entire rattlesnake, including the fang. Archaeologists have never seen anything quite like it. Back in the late 1960s, archaeologists collected over 1,000 samples of human-produced corporal lights or dried-out poop at the Conejo shelter site in the lower Pecos Canyon lands of southwest Texas. A team led by archaeologist Eleanor Sonderman from Texas A&M University recently took a look at this old poop. <laughs> oh, you old poop. Leading to a rather remarkable discovery. One of the recovered poop samples contains various traces of vegetarian and even a whole small rodent that was seemingly eaten without cooking. For hunter-gatherers in the lower Pecos, that's actually nothing out of the ordinary. But the same corporalite sample also contains traces of an entire rattlesnake, including bits of bones, scales, and a fang. The authors of the new study believe that it's the first evidence of whole snake consumption on the fossil record, as the researchers point out in this new study published by the Journal of Archaeological Science, reports this unique and potentially life-threatening ingestive act was likely done for ceremonial or ritualistic reasons and not for nutrition. So it looks like snake eating. You know, I mean, is this like the first snake tent revival? I mean, was this the way that you got initiated into a gang by eating a whole snake? Hey, Trog. You want to roll with our click? Eat that whole snake, fangs and all. If you were going to eat a snake, would you want to eat it? Do you eat it forwards or backwards? And considering it was Texas, was it fried? 
you know, if I'm going to be honest with you, I kind of feel like if I, I'm going to be in Austin next week. If I were in Austin and you know, maybe middle of the day, I'm hanging out with, with a, a local and they're like, oh my God, we got to go to this place. I'm like, okay, what? It's like, look, it might be weird, but I swear to God, you've never had anything like it and you're going to love it. Okay. Then we go and it's, you know, maybe uh, some food truck area and we got to go behind a food truck. The next thing you know, there's, you know, an old dude and he's next to uh, some kind of modified ice cream uh, uh, trolley. And my buddy speaks, it's not even Spanish, right? It's some other language. And he signals that he wants two of them. And then what gets pulled out is a snake, a full snake. And he says, all right, now I'm going to say some things to you that may seem a little weird, but I swear to God, it's safe to eat. This snake is alive, barely. It is seasoned. And it is delicious. But it is tradition here that you have to eat the entire snake, including the fangs. Do I do it? Do I eat that whole snake? Oh, who am I kidding? Of course I do. Of course I eat that whole snake. To be honest, eating a whole snake would be something that I would find less weird than some other stuff. Like, I I would probably eat a whole snake before I would eat a bug I found gross. And I would certainly eat a whole snake before I ate fucking anything that touched mayonnaise. Oh, God, now I'm just thinking about mayonnaise again. Let's just, whatever. God, I'm going to throw up. Let's just move on. You can always email the show, jurydaily at gmail.com. Again, jurydaily at gmail.com. Joe writes in, this may seem controversial, but on September 24, 2007, the first episode of The Big Bang Theory premiered on CBS. CBS is television for the masses. Its unoffensive programming pulls in huge numbers year after year. This premiere was almost six months before Iron Man and the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All along the way, lovable and safe-to-watch nerds and their cute female counterparts spoon-fed geek culture to the masses. D&D, Star Trek, Star Wars, and Will Wheaton were all recurring themes. Suddenly, nerdy was cool, possibly even sexy. Yet, geek culture shuns this show. Yes, it has no artistic merit. It's formulaic, and often the writing has been lazy. But it did for our nerd culture what the British did for rhythm and blues. It made it less offensive to the masses by repackaging it around harmless presenters. I believe 
that nerd culture owes a debt of thanks to Chuck Lorre and Bill Prady. Now this, my friend, is a hot take. Sizzling! Oh my God, I love this take. I love, and as somebody who has certainly disrespected uh, uh, the the artistic merit of, <laughs> of Big Bang Theory, I'm now totally on board that we all need uh, uh, to offer apologies to to Lori and Prady who created this show. I, I I don't know if it was something where I don't know. Uh, while I'm in for the hot take, I don't know how much I agree with it. I kind of feel like it was risen just as much by the fact that there was a cultural moment for this nerd shit that as the monoculture was shattered and all the different tribes went in different directions, the only things that stood the tallest were the communities that were bound together before the the monoculture broke apart. So nerd communities, movie communities, these things that were already on the internet immediately found themselves in the pole position because there's no way you can import radio's influence to the internet. There's no way you can import television's technological dominance onto the internet. So I believe that Iron Man and the MCU probably helped Big Bang Theory as much as Big Bang Theory helped the MCU. But I'm still here for the take. Jason M. writes, You're not alone in having more comic cards than comic books. I love Marvel cards, and at one point I actually saved up and bought an entire box of cards. I opened every pack, filled out my collection, and made my money back through card sales. Holograms were sold for their values as reported in an issue of Wizard, I add parenthetically, or Beckett, and individual rare cards were auctioned off. I actually found a bunch of my cards from my dad's house recently, through my, though my holograms must have been sold, sold off at some point. I also had, had uh, collected a full set of TMNT movie cards and Desert Storm cards. Anyone need a Norman Schwarzkopf rookie card? Hit me up. That's Fucking amazing. Again, jurydaily at gmail.com is where you can write us into the show. I want to thank our producers, the Jen, PD Rave, Nonspecific, Rock and Roll, Martian, Joe Acosta, Will, James, the OG Brito, Will. And by the way, big shout out to the OG Brito, Will. His app, Entail, won a Webby for People's Choice Award. Congratulations to the Jury Daily fam. OG Brito, Will. Congrats, man. Well earned. Also, big shout out to our producer, Chris. If you want to find my Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, it is at Justin R. Young. You can join our Discord at bit.ly slash jury discord, J-U-R-Y-D-I-S-C-O-R-D. And you can support this show at payjurydaily.com. We bring Marvel Week to a close, along with high thoughts, tomorrow. Till then, it's your old pal Justin Robert Young asking you very politely, politely, to give a round of applause to Mr. Wacky. But most importantly, please don't
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>